Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, Cybersecurity Tools, Defense, and Offense. I'm Brian Allen, and today we're joined by Drs. Garrett Smiley and Harry Jackson. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking time to join the chat and to uh, communicate with us today. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Brian, thank you. Excellent. Well, let's um, let's jump in. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to get just a... a your feedback and what I'm going to do is open up some questions and then we will uh, we'll just take it from there uh, and I what I'll do is I'll start with um, Garrett on the first question and then uh, and then Harry I'll, I'll ask you the same question so uh, what are some of the cybersecurity dangers for virtual organizations and workers that are often overlooked or most important to consider well um... I don't know that I, uh, Brian, I don't know that I see a distinct difference between somebody in a virtual space and otherwise, especially nowadays. But I, I will try and answer the question by saying that some of the biggest dangers are the ones, quite frankly, that you hear about in the news. Um, successful phishing attacks, uh, successful ransomware attacks. Um, those tend to be the most common, uh, quite frankly, the easiest to perpetrate and the most devastating. So, you know, a lot of my energy and my my full-time role as a chief information security officer for a federal contractor, um, we're very focused on those particular attack vectors because they tend to be so effective, right? So, um, and, and, that, and that, you know, the virtual people don't really get a pass on that. Um, so regardless of whether you're physically instanced or virtually instanced or cyber instanced, however you want to call it. Um, those are still the main concerns. I can just add from a different perspective. I also support a lot of federal clients uh, in the space. Um, some of the dangers that I see with, within virtual organizations are perhaps with the employee workforce. Again, obviously everyone's subject to phishing, which is human hacking. But I'm thinking about just employee cyber hygiene behavior using their own information IT assets instead of those that are provisioned to them by their by their organization that may not be sufficiently hardened or be in compliance within organizations for the sake of convenience. Um, I've seen that as a as a major challenge with for making sure that they're using uh, tools and technologies that have full disk encryption. And then you know obviously. People tend to print things out or if they dispose of, of information that should have been shredded to begin with. Um, so with the COVID pandemic, I don't think some organizations were aptly prepared to go 100% telework. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very true. So, um, so Harry, I'll go to you on this uh, next question. So in light of the growing number of data breaches, do you believe an offensive or a defensive approach is the best for, for organizations and for remote workers? And I guess why? Well, I guess my question for you is that when you mean by offensive approach, you mean, you mean like offensive, like hacking, like proactive defensive operations? Well, I'll let you actually define that because I think there are a lot of definitions there. Right, because I think if we're talking about offensive operations or like hacking back, I think you're dealing with legal and ethical issues there. Um, but I think we're talking about the defensive approach. I think what is meant by that question is can you be more proactive and I would say that, yes, I think with data breaches, you sh the organization should be taking a proactive approach with awareness and so it's with awareness to shape the user behavior. So a person's aware of what is risky behavior, what what are the what are the uh, security policies of the organization that they should follow and why and how to operate in a, in a more secure manner to ensure that the organization is operationally resilient is operationally resilient. I'm sorry. All right. 
Excellent. Uh, Garrett? I'll try and answer it as directly as I can, but um, to kind of build off of, of what was just said, you know, my, my staff and their focus is always going to be on um, having the ability to monitor things popping off, as it were. So it's definitely going to be more reactive simply because you, you cannot proactively um, anticipate all attack vectors and when they might be exploited. It's just not possible. But if I have and my staff have visibility um, with the technical capabilities and solutions that we have at our fingertips for monitoring uh, anomalous behavior, uh, monitoring um, attempted uh, attacks, then that's about as good as it gets. And, you know, I can say that right now I feel pretty good about the visibility we have with some of the tools that we have. You know, we've got SIM-based technology that functions off of uh, log ingest. We've got network traffic analysis capabilities, which actually tells you what's going on at the uh, network packet level um, and, and, a, and a variety of other types of uh, traditional security uh, control such as uh, endpoint detection and response and so on and so forth. Um, but the point is you have to be able to see the thing that's being exploited and you have to be able to, in an agile way, respond to that. And, and if you have that ability to do that for your technical estate, it, it doesn't get much better than that. So that's that to me is kind of the brass ring that you want to be able to grab hold on to. So let me follow up on that, if you don't mind. Um, so one of the issues is that it that many of the actions, many of the transactions that take place in an environment are are defensive. In other words, they're after the fact. And I guess when I look at uh, offensive, I'm looking at the things that predate those instances. Are there are there particular cues or particular um, policies that need to be set in place to to affect a few, uh, user behavior in a way that isn't currently being um, currently being approached and handled, and I'll open that up for either of you. I, I think some things that um, might be overlooked that some organizations um, don't do, and I can mention this with a number of clients that I've supported of my own practice: not having acceptable use agreements um, for accessing you know, IT resources and assets. Um, that, that they should be aware of having things such as warning banners uh, for log for when a, a user does log in of, of what's what's acceptable behavior or um, or that or that this person is being monitored. Um, there's that one adage: you get what you measure. So they sh they should have some sort of some organization should look into having some sort of assessment of measuring their security program. To, and how they are influencing behavior for their users. For example, maybe phishing exercises and showing metrics over time as to uh, how well the how how the the improved um, responses to phishing attacks or decreased susceptibility to phishing attacks. For example, Jared, did you want to add anything to that? Um, well, I guess just to kind of build on everything that's been said, uh, you, you know, Harry's absolutely right. You, you've got a baseline normative behavior before you can know if you're deviating from it. So, you know, there's a variety of ways to do that. Um, but th that's, that's an absolute requirement. And also, too, you know, as far as being prepared and doing things proactively, you have to, you have to, um, 
you know, select, establish, roll out, and implement and enforce uh, monitoring from a technical perspective in order to be able to detect if somebody is trying to um, gain a foothold into your environment through ransomware or to detect if somebody is trying to um, send you a fish so they can, you know, do all sorts of nefarious things. If you don't have those capabilities, there is no human corollary that's going to make up for the the, the technical capability, uh, to be sure. So while while it is important to have, um, you know, on paper, so to speak, policies and and uh, acceptable use and all that stuff, and you should, without technical enforcement, you know, it just kind of lacks teeth. And without the ability to be continuously monitoring, it's you're going to miss stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess a follow-up to that question is, what do, you, what do you believe are some of the critical skills or best practices that are, that are often ignored or they're not addressed in, in these organizations and with employees? Uh, Harry? Well, within organizations, um, I would say the assessors of those security controls. I think there's a, a, a critical skills gap. Um, if you have an organization that might use leverage the services of a manager, uh, security service provider that's implementing controls, I think there's a, there's also a, a gap in qualified security control assessors that can actually competently assess the adequate the adequacy of those controls. I think that's a, a, a huge gap. Um, and then with virtual workers, you're talking about that human element, as Garrett was saying before, it's impossible to know what attack vector is going to be used, what new campaign a malicious actor used, or what crisis that they will use to craft a phishing or a spear phishing or even a whaling, particularly your whaling uh, email attack uh, that targets, um, for those that aren't familiar, whaling attack is you're going after a high profile target, like an executive uh, within the organization, a person where who's used to outside engagement, where they have a lot of publicly available information, information publicly available about them that would allow for a tailored uh, targeted uh, phishing attack. Um, or just being able to recognize and talk about the skills for the user's part of how to recognize uh, a phishing attack because some of them are quite are quite good. Yeah, absolutely. Some are very 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 sophisticated. Uh, Garrett, did you want to add to that? Well, uh, yeah, I, I think in regards to critical skills for me, since we you didn't really specify what department or who, um, I'll just go back to ones that I think everybody can benefit from, which is problem-solving skills, critical thinking skills, situational assessment skills. And those are things that everybody could benefit from. Um, technically focused employees definitely can benefit from them um, because you never know what you're going to see. You never know how it's going to come to you. Um, you know, I always, always like to joke about um, certain vendors' products never doing the same thing twice. Uh, I won't name names, but, you know, uh, so being able to kind of contextualize the situation and say, okay, what, what do I believe is going on here and how can we walk out my theory and trying to fix what I believe to be the underlying problem? It's very helpful across the board. Um, but I will also say that, um, you know, an organization in all departments must have its processes defined. Um, because if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, how do you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And you can't improve on that if you haven't baselined it. So, you know, I, I've, I've used the baseline term more than once, and clearly I feel that's pretty important. 
organizationally speaking. Are, are you trying to imply that you can't perf improve performance without a measure and a measuring stick? Is that what you're saying? That's kind of what I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, I'm, 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 I'm the cynical uh, CISO who says kind of hard for me to protect the assets when you aren't doing asset management. Kind, kind of hard for us to expect that things are hardened when you're not doing configuration management and so on and so forth. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, what's that now? I was just saying that makes it just a little challenging. Just a little challenging. Well, you know, you want to have a bouncing target, right? You don't want to be consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds, right? <laughs> uh, 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 so ethical hacking and network penetration testing are practices for organizations. What are some of the best tools and practices to test remote worker data security? And I would say data security and data security practices. Wow. Uh, I guess best tools and best practices for reuse, for users would be some sort of sandbox, like with everything's moving from VMs to containers um, as far as virtual environments, make sure that you do have users if they're not using a, a hardened device that they have that they're at least using a operating in a hardened virtual environment. So it would be my is, is, is my recommendation. So how does an I guess how does a remote worker know that they are they're in that condition? What what would they do to encourage that behavior? Well, most organizations you'll just have they they'll give them like a hardened device that will require them in order to use that asset. They'll have to VPN into. Um, into the organization or to access organizational IT assets and resources. So they inherit those controls provided by that organization's architecture. Otherwise, yeah, it wouldn't be um, And I say that again. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, I, um, there is a, there's a movement, uh, we'll call it a, a backlash against like a dual authentication and those kinds of things. And, and I think, uh, users in particular get frustrated because you know they have to use their phone or a, a watch or whatever as a as a secondary um as a dual uh, authentication and 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 i guess from a hardened device i get a hardened device but then i try to find ways to to circumnavigate that so i'm i, I see it as as kind of a, a double-edged sword right it's uh, people want the convenience of being able to get in quickly but they also need the data security so it's kind of a catch-22 i would agree with that. uh garrett did you want to add anything to that uh, yeah, I, I agree that it's a catch-22, and I've found, you know, practically speaking in the real world that end users are always going to want immediate satisfaction and convenience, and there's no reason that you can't include that as a target. However, that's not the end goal, and that's not the only goal. So, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to do a bit of an evangelization, I think with a lot of uh, security tools when they're being rolled out, you know, and, and ideally optimally you do want them to be as, you know, non-intrusive as possible, as seamless as possible, as transparent as possible, as easy to use as possible. And that is the goal, right? Um, and I would say that uh, uh, manufacturers out there of those security solutions do understand that. And the ones that are successful, heed that call and they make sure to make it more user-friendly. Um, however, you know, it's still going to be a balancing act. You're still going to have to educate people in what's appropriate and what isn't. And, you know, it's that behavioral challenge that it's, it's a continuous moving target. 
you know, it's just like with the, I use a basic example of the, the fishing campaigns. I can spend a trillion dollars doing a million different fishing campaigns, but if people don't slow the heck down and stop clicking out of, I'm in a rush, I'm in a rush, I'm in a hurry, you can spend as much money as you want. It's not going to help. So, you know, addressing the underlying human behavior um, and trying to get a more appropriate enterprise security posture, including the person and what they do, it's challenging, but it's it's a part of it that cannot be removed. Yeah, absolutely. Harry, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, I would just agree everything with what Gary had just said. Um, you know, um, as far as uh, one thing there was about that question you asked about, like with pen testing, um, what would benefit organizations that maybe a realistic pen test duration? Um, you know, a good pen test we should last about two weeks, but organizations resource constrained only do it for a few days or maybe at a week at most. Yeah. Yeah. I, in my experience, they're typically very short lived. Um, they're very um, output based, right? Give me the report. Tell me I'm good for the moment. And then procedures and policies go back into place and things don't work the way they should. Right. So it's like uh, forgive and forget. Right. Um, all right. Uh, last question. Uh, many remote workers are gig workers, subcontractors or temporary employees. What, if any, consideration should be taken for cybersecurity for these individuals? And uh, we'll start with Harry. Well, I think the first thing would make sure that you have non-disclosure agreements in place. Um, for contractors and any third party, make sure you clearly have a, an SLA, a service level agreement in place, um, as well as uh, any type of memorandum of understanding of what uh, what requirements they're going to have to to meet in order to access your your organization's resources? What comes to mind was the uh, was the target breach uh, with one of the third party vendors, an HVAC supplier that had weak that had a weak security posture that was compromised, but and it was led as as the vector into that organization's uh, uh, re network, and then we're able to laterally move into the point of sale systems. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Garrett. Uh, yeah, those are all good things. I mean, obviously, the devil's in the details, right? So if you're talking about gig workers who are using their own equipment, that's kind of a different calculus than if you're providing them the equipment to use. Uh, but I think in either case, um, you know, like we've already stated, you, you have to um, make it very clear what the acceptable uh, rules of use are and what the parameters are into which they're going to be allowed to access resources and data and um, do what they need to do as those gig workers and third-party contractors and whoever it may be. So I think, the, I think the truth of the matter is most organizations have to kind of think through that and walk through that and decide what they're willing to um, put up with, so to speak, from a risk perspective, and then just hold to it. Um, and I know that uh, I've been through several conversations on this particular topic recently where I said, you know, where possible, we really don't want to give up anything um, unless it's, you know, a control or something that's dependent upon us giving them a, a hardened laptop that we, you know, kind of own and govern. So it just depends. But, yeah, you got to walk through it. Definitely. Well, I said that was the last question, but I guess I'll add one more here. In, in an environment where we are dealing with a lot of bring your own device uh, to work um, uh, options for employers, how do you feel like that, uh, that 
plays, especially when you're talking about remote workers and virtual work. And I'll open that up to either one of you. I'll, I'll run with that one real quick. I, I can I can say that, you know, the typical approach, one I know that I employ here in my place of business is, um, you know, using uh, uh, MDM MAM solutions for mobile device management where it's a bring your own device. And uh, that tends to be the best way to say, you know, hey, look, if you want access to, for say, example, my Office 365 environment, You've got to enroll your own device into Intune. You know, that's like Microsoft's one. And, you know, I may require you to do MAM, which is not quite as uh, uh, tough, so to speak, or I may require you to do MDM. But either way, whatever I require you to do, those are the terms of use, right? You go, I'm not interested in that. Well, then maybe I need to go and find you a free cheapy phone that I can give you so you can jump on there with a cheapy phone. Or, you know, if it's a laptop, we, we give you a, a loaner or whatever. So that that's how I think most organizations do it. There still has to be some governance, you know, just because it's your device doesn't mean you can access my stuff any way you feel like. Harry, did you want to add any of that? Well, when it comes to bring your own device, I think it sounds great from an organization. You get to uh, save, save money. It, seems, it sounds good because you're saving money on investment in your infrastructure or your enterprise. But being on the side of leading incident response, I, I think it's kind of an incident response nightmare when you have uh, an incident or malware and you're trying to find the root cause of what uh, you're trying to do lessons learned or malware analysis. And it can be problematic to try to even pick up a device that you don't own necessarily control and you can have legal problems with that. But I'm, I'm more of a fan of just give the, the user a device that you can, that you can manage. Yeah, I, I tend to lean towards that in my previous CIO role. So uh, I want to thank you, uh, Garrett and Harry, for your time today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We uh, truly appreciate your insights, and we know our listeners will benefit from your experience. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.